Let's praise the Lord. I want to take a few moments this morning um, just in these verses uh, that we've been looking at and I want to try and I believe with God's help show you uh, God's perspective on end times. That, that would and more than likely will be different from what a lot of men think or are concerned about end times. But when you see it from his perspective, from eternity's perspective, because he's eternal, he's outside of time, he knows the end from the beginning, then when God helps us to see, and I, I seek to do this with God's help this morning, that we would grasp where really we are. I know I, I speak a lot of messages on the end times, and and I'll continue to do that because I believe we're in the end times, and we need to be ready. We need to be ready for the Lord's coming. It's very close. And I know that's often said, often preached, often prayed, and often we would sing that song about the Lord's coming. But there is something way deep in the Spirit and in my own heart and in the Spirit that is impressing more and more upon me. And I know it's upon the church that we are, we are living in the final moments of time. The tragedy in that is, and I'll come more to this next week, and yesterday just in preparing the last couple of days, that most of what we see or understand to be the church in the broad sense across the world, a very large portion of that is not going to make it to heaven. That's sobering, but that's what the Bible teaches. It's not popular in the modern teaching programs, but the Bible actually does teach that many will not make it, that call themselves or part of, in general, in a general sense, what is known to be the church of Jesus Christ or the church. A very large section of that will not enter into the kingdom. That's biblical. That's a sobering reality. It's a sobering thought. But it's what the Bible actually teaches. So in the light of that, in the falling away, in the revelation or the unveiling, the unveiling of the man of sin, and where we are in God's prophetic calendar, what's important for us is to see it from God's perspective. What is God doing? What is happening? How is this unfolding? And in order for us to do that, we need to go back to the beginning. And that seems a strange thing because most, uh, most preaching on and teaching on eschatology, the study of end times, will pick up somewhere along maybe the last century or coming into the period of the beginning of sorrows or into the period of the tribulation and that where we are in the wars and pestilence and famines and people against people and the rebellion, the rise of immorality, all those things are part of a prophetic picture, but most would start around there to pick up on what is about to happen. But for us to really know where we are, we, we must go back to the beginning. We must see where we are from the beginning. Now, before we do that, if you could turn to Second Thessalonians chapter 2, I want to read this first. These are the verses that we're working from. Also, I want to help us this morning with some uh, visual aids. They're not very professional. You'll forgive me for that. I'm, I'll never make it as a children's worker, I don't think. But I want us to help us this morning to see where we are. Um, Isaac said to me when I was preparing this, he was with me, he says, are you going to play a trick on them? I says, no, no, I'm not going to play a trick on them, Isaac. It's just the best that I can do. He says, right, okay, so... Uh, when we get to Second Thessalonians chapter two, then we'll, I, I just want to show you something. Second Thessalonians chapter two, verse one. Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, by our gathering together unto Him, that you be not soon shaken in mind, uh, or be troubled, neither by spirit nor by word nor by letter from us, as that the day of Christ is at hand or it is near. Let no man Deceive you by any means, by any methods, by any any way. Don't be deceived. For the day 
shall not come except there come a falling away first and that the man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition or the son of destruction who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God showing himself to be God. So I want to take a few moments. Bear with me, no one's going to get hurt. But we're going to go back to the beginning. Then we're going to go to the cross. Don't worry. Worked all this out. It should work. If I can reach. There we go. How did he do that? That's the trick Isaac was worried about. Sorry for the stretch. There's others. But this is the ones I want to talk about. I won't come down. They're magnets from Jackie Brown's. They're the strongest in the company. For the understand end times, we must understand the purpose of God eternally in His Son, Jesus Christ understand what this is all about. It's all about this second one on this banner this morning. It's all about Calvary and the Lamb that was eternally slain or purposed in God that would come into the world to die for every one of us. Everything of what God has ever done subsequent to the beginning has always been for the glory the exaltation of His Son, Jesus Christ. So important that we grasp this. If you could see the cross this morning as God's eternal work, before there was a world, there was God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And in God, He purposed in Himself that before He would create a world or a star in this galaxy, that He purposed that His Son, Jesus Christ, would be that lamb that would come into this world to die on that cross for you and for me. And that was eternally purposed in Christ. And everything subsequently that he would do was for his glory and for the glory of his son alone. So in all the workings and the dealings of God from the the beginning of the world when God in Genesis chapter 1, and we're going to travel some thousands of years for a moment, In the beginning, God, when God created the heavens and the earth and created everything that was in this world and made it perfect and good and made man and breathed into man, in six days, God created the world. In six days. I know there's professors and great learned men believe that God somehow has used evolution in order to create His... God does not need evolution to create when God, when the Bible says in the beginning God created the world and in six days He created it. Six days He created it. And in that, the Bible tells us that through the fall of man, we see immediately that God's prophetic calendar began to work. If if you go back and begin to work through this and we could exhaust the treasures of God's Word And in all of this, finding and seeing God's prophetic calendar at work. But when man fell, it tells us that by man came death and by man also came the resurrection of the dead. Because in Adam, when Adam disobeyed God and fell in the garden, we know that sin entered into the world. And you'll find in God's prophetic calendar, we're, we're by months and days and hours and minutes, but God's calendar works differently, completely different. What God began to do was bring the revelation from the beginning of His Son. The very first prophetic revelation that comes in the book of Genesis is in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. God begins to bring a revelation. He says to the devil at that time that I will put enmity between you and the woman and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head and thou shall bruise his heel. 
There is the first revelation that comes of Calvary. The first thing that happens after the fall is God eternally begins to bring the revelation of his purpose. That is Jesus Christ and the cross. And so we see then God begins to unfold an eternal plan. It's beyond the realms of time. It's in God himself. We, we can barely grasp it all. It is a wonder. It is, it is a wonderful thing even to get a glimpse of it. But God begins to unfold what his purpose is and his plan is in time. And as he creates that world, specifically God then, if you look at this from the beginning right up to Calvary, we see then in scripture that God begins to deal with man on the basis of covenants. That's his prophetic calendar. He begins to speak to men and reveal to men his, his purpose through covenants. The first one is the covenant that he made with Noah. Have you ever seen a rainbow in the sky? And they've taken that rainbow and they've made it something completely different. That's the blasphemy of the world that we're living in. But when God put that bow, if you turn over with me to Genesis chapter 9, God speaks to Noah, the wickedness of the earth has increased. By faith, Noah would build that ark, and God was going to bring a judgment upon the earth. But in Genesis chapter 9, you'll see the Noahic covenant as it is known. And he says in verse 12, this is the token of the covenant which I will make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for perpetual generations. I do set my bow in the cloud, and it shall be for a token of a covenant between me and the earth. And it shall come to pass, when I bring a cloud over the earth, that the bow shall be seen in the cloud, and I will remember my covenant, which is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And the water shall no more become a flood to destroy all flesh, and the bow shall be in the cloud, and I will look upon it that I may remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is upon the earth. God makes a covenant with mankind through that bow in the sky. What is he revealing to us when we see the wonderful account of Noah and the ark? He's revealing Jesus Christ. He's revealing that there would come a day that there would be an ark. That ark is Jesus. And if you enter into that ark through faith alone, and God brings us there by the grace of God, then one day we'll be saved when the wrath of God comes. He begins to show us his prophetic intention through his covenant. What he has shown us is there's an eternal purpose. God's not bound by days or months or years or decades or millenniums. God has always purposed this in himself. He is outside of all of this. His arms are round about this and all of time and eternity and his purpose is within himself for the purpose of what? For the glory of his son, Jesus Christ. There is nothing else but him. There is no other purpose in everything that he does. The purpose of why he's doing it is for the glory of him who's up, up on the throne this morning and his name is Jesus. And so God begins to deal and bring the revelation. The second covenant that we'll look at this morning is found in Genesis chapter 12. It's known as the Abrahamic covenant. God then, 2,000 years before the birth of Christ, simply calls a man by the name of Abram that he would come out, that he would follow after him, that he would leave his brethren. It's an awesome story that God calls people, calls people to come out from where they are. But look at the purpose of God. Abraham simply by faith left everything to follow him. But God was about to bring a revelation to his heart. It says in Genesis 12 and 1, Now the Lord God said to Abram, Get thee out of thy country, from thy kindred, from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee. God had a purpose in this. God had a prophetic plan in this. I will make thee a great nation. Abraham, I'll bless thee and make your name great and you will be a blessing. God now is about to cut a covenant, as it were, with Abram, this man who would follow God and believe God. It's all by faith from the beginning. It's always been faith that God is pleased with. It tells us if you turn over to Genesis 17, 
then God begins to reveal this prophetic purpose. When Abram, Genesis 17, and when Abram was 90 years old and nine, the Lord appeared and said, I am the Almighty God. Walk before me, and I will be perfect, and I will make my covenant between thee, me and thee. And I am going to multiply your seed. Abram fell on his face. God talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with thee, and thou shalt be a father of many nations. Neither shall thy name be called Abram, but thy name shall be called Abraham. For a father of many nations have I made thee, and I will make thee exceeding fruitful. I will make nations of thee, and kings will, excuse me, will come out of thee. And I will establish my covenant between me and thee, and thy seed after thee, and their generations. This will be an everlasting covenant to be a God unto thee, to thy seed after thee. And I will give unto thee, and to thy seed, a land wherein thou art a stranger. God was birthing a nation called Israel. God would prophetically bring forth this people because there was an eternal purpose in God in doing that. And so he says, All the land of Canaan will be yours for an everlasting possession. I will be their God. And God said unto Abraham, Thou shalt shalt keep my covenant thou, and thy seed after thee in their generations. This is my covenant which ye shall keep between me and you, and thy seed after thee, every man-child among you shall be circumcised. God here in choosing Israel to birth a nation through Abram, the token or the indication that they would belong to God was the circumcision of the flesh. God was revealing his purpose in the new covenant in the circumcision of the outward because through the new birth we would be circumcised in the heart by the power of that born-again experience. We would be engrafted in as Gentiles. We were strangers and pilgrims not belonging to that natural tree. But now God in his mercy in the new covenant would circumcise us with a circumcision of the heart to bring us into the purposes and the blessings of Abraham. And this morning through that, through the part of the new covenant, we receive the inheritance and the promises of God. God was revealing it through covenant and his eternal prophetic plan. We see that through Isaac, again a type of the Lord Jesus Christ, in Genesis 21 and 12, God said he had, the Abraham, you remember that there was Ishmael, there was always the feelings and the flaws of man and, and all of that, but it was faith that God was pleased with. Even though there was faults and there was feelings, anyone failed or, or fallen, but it's not in our feeling or our fallen, it's in the perfect righteousness of Christ. It's in faith in what He has done. And so even though we feel, thank God for faith in the blood of Jesus this morning, that we can get up and that we can know our sins are forgiven and we can march on in the light of God. And so we see here that there's a covenant. In Genesis 21 and 12, God said to Abraham, let it not be grievous in this sight because of the lad and of the bondwoman that was Ishmael. And in all that Sarah has said unto thee, hearken unto her voice, for in Isaac shall thy seed be called. And Isaac is that type of the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, everywhere in the old. You know, this book is such a precious book. It's a treasure. But when you dig and begin to read and begin to see everything of what you're reading, I'm always looking for Christ in it. Because that's what it's all about. And you see him in everything. As God begins to open your heart and your eyes when you're reading, where is Jesus? And you'll find him. You'll find He's the treasure. He's the pearl of great price. You'll find him when you begin to dig into it. And God opens your eyes. And so we see that Isaac is born. Those patriarchs, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And we see those 12 sons. And we look at them, we see it all, and, and even in that, we see Joseph. You remember the story about Joseph, a perfect type. What is God doing? He's bringing a revelation in his prophetic calendar of Jesus Christ. Joseph was sold, he was betrayed by his brethren, sold into slavery, brought down to Egypt. But everything of what the devil meant for evil, God was going to turn it around for good. Every time you see it, you see it working. When the enemy is working for evil to bring destruction, God begins to work on their behalf and he turns everything around for the glory of his son and for our good. That's what it's all about. 
And so here we see them as, as Joseph comes up as three and they fall into slavery after, after Joseph had been raised to that time where he would be the provision of all the people. That's Christ. That's what that's all about. It's about Jesus. And God's bringing the revelation continually as we're moving from the beginning and moving towards everything of the revelation of God was in Christ and that lamb that was slain on Calvary's tree. And all the types and the shadows are begin, we begin to see them. And then we, we come to the Mosaic Covenant. It's found in Exodus chapter 19. And you remember, as they're in slavery, they're in bondage, they're being oppressed by their enemy. God brings a revelation. You'll take a lamb for your house. You'll take the blood of that lamb. You'll put the blood of the lamb on the doorpost and the lintel of that house. That lamb will be for you. Who's he talking about? He's talking about the lamb of God. He'd be our Passover lamb. In Christ, we'd have the provision for everything that we need in this life. And then we see that, that God brings a mighty deliverance through Moses, the mediator of an old covenant. And in Exodus chapter 19, verse 1, he says, In the third month, when the children of Israel were gone forth out of the land, same day came they into the wilderness of Sinai. For they were departed from Rephidim, and were come to the desert of Sinai, and pitched in the wilderness. And there Israel encamped before the mountain. Moses went up unto God, and the Lord called unto him out of the mountain, saying, Thou shalt say to the house of Jacob, Tell the children of Israel, you have seen what I did to the Egyptians, how I bear you on eagles' wings and brought you unto myself. Now therefore, you obey my voice and you keep my covenant. Then you shall be a particular treasure unto me above all people. For all the earth is mine and ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. That sound familiar language? These are the words which thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel. God was about to make a covenant with his people Israel, whom he delivered by his own mighty hand, whom he brought out from under the power of Egypt, under the greatest nation of the world, that God in a day would bring out two million people by his mighty hand and bring them forth. Has God not brought us out of the powers of darkness? It's a revelation. He was dealing with his people. His covenant was with Israel. But there's a revelation. If you see it this morning, may God show us that there's a revelation of the person of Jesus Christ, the eternal Son. That's what he wants us to see and what he's doing. And so we see that God cuts a covenant with his people, Israel. If you move forward into the Devadi covenant in Second Samuel chapter 7, God's constantly... Between the beginning and right up to Calvary, what he's doing, he's bringing a revelation in all his dealings with his people. Everything of this is a revelation of the Lamb that would come. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 8, God speaks to David and says, Now therefore, so shalt thou say unto my servant David, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I took thee from the sheep coat, and from following the sheep to be ruler over my people. He takes a shepherd boy. He makes him a king. Isn't it awesome what God can do with a life? A shepherd boy, insignificant in a time when Israel were backslidden and in the trenches and filled with fear and nothing. What does he do? He takes the hold of a shepherd, a shepherd boy, and he makes him a king. That's what God can do with a life. He can take the most insignificant person in this room that thinks nothing of themselves, but God can take a life and change it by his mighty power. And look what he says. And I was with thee, whithersoever thou wentest, and have cut off all thine enemies out of thy sight, and I have made thee a great name on the earth, like unto the great name of the men of the world. And so it tells us there, in that second Samuel chapter seven, God was about to make a covenant here with, with David concerning his throne. The throne of David. It was so, it's so important in the genealogy of Christ because there's a royal line. Once in royals, David's city, there is a king that was coming would be born. This is how God is seeing it from his perspective. And I'm trying to show you it with God's help this morning as we're moving towards this, where we are in God's prophetic calendar. Hopefully, by the end of this, if we're even half asleep spiritually, 
If we're dead in ourselves this morning, friends, something of the revelation of where we are would quicken the smoldering embers in the church and the church would be ablaze again with the fire of the Holy Ghost. If we can't see it, I can't make you see it. I can't make you understand it. I can't open your ears. I can't soften your heart. I can't make you come alive. But I know the Holy Ghost can. I know you can sit in a meeting as dead and as dry and as barren as anything because I sat in meetings like that as a Christian. And then the Spirit of God and the wind would blow in and my heart and heart was touched by the power of His Spirit. God can do it again, friend. God can do it again. Do we believe it? That God can do it in a life no matter how barren and how dry it is. He can breathe in an instant and warm a heart and draw a man or a woman unto himself. Isn't God amazing? This is the God that we serve. And we read here of, of that prophecy that comes from Nathan. We read here that God was about to establish a throne and a kingdom. And he was about to raise up David and David's throne. And with that throne, there'd be an everlasting throne. To his throne, that's what, that's what God spoke to David. You remember the prophecy of Isaiah? If you turn to it, Isaiah chapter 9. In Isaiah chapter 9, and we know this, these verses really well. It's normally read at Christmas time, but we should really read it all the time to grasp the magnitude of God and his mercy and his prophetic purpose. Isaiah 9 and 6, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. Who's he speaking about? Speaking about Jesus. And it says, and and his name shall be, and the government shall be on his shoulder, his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government of peace there'll be no end. And what does it say there? Upon the throne of David, and upon his kingdom to order it, to establish it with judgment, with justice, from henceforth and even forever. And the seal of the Lord will perform this. God is working between these thousands of years, constantly from the beginning, moving right through all these covenants, dealing with his people Israel, everything of what he's doing, all the shadows and all the types, the tabernacles and everything else. That tabernacle was a shadow of the heavenly. That's where Moses got the plans. That's where David got the plans. It was always the heavenly brought down the earth and a revelation and a shadow of everything of what Calvary would mean to this world. The eternal Son, the Lamb of God that would come into the world to save sinners. That's God's purpose. That's His plan. And so we begin to see there was another covenant that God would make in Ezekiel 36 and 26. If you turn to it, you'll see these well-known verses in Ezekiel 36 and 26. A new heart. A new heart. This is what God's purpose is. Ezekiel 36, 26. A new heart also will I give you. This is what God does in a life. This is what it is to be saved. This is what it is to be born again. God gives you a new heart. It's not trying to do it in a religious act. It's a new heart. A new heart, a new spirit am I going to put within you. And I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh. And I will give you a heart of flesh. God can remove saints the stony heart and only God can do it. We need heart operations. That's what we need. We need heart operations. Even in the church of Jesus Christ, there's a lot of stony, hard hearts in the church of Jesus Christ. Not able to receive the Word of God. The seed falls and it's dried up and it's stolen. Their hearts are hard. They can't receive. We need that new heart in the church where it can receive the Word of life. Look over to Jeremiah chapter 31 and 33. He's speaking now. All these are shadows heading up towards Calvary. He's speaking now of a new covenant that was coming. Jeremiah 31 and 33 says these words. Follow it through this morning, brothers and sisters. Jeremiah 31 and 33. But this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my law in their inward parts, and I would write it in their hearts. And I will be their God, 
and they shall be my people. There was a new covenant that was coming. This is God's. Remember, this is God. I'm speaking on the second coming this morning. You may not think it, but I'm going to show you where we're going with this because we're so close. A new heart I'm going to give you. I will be your God. I will write my law in your heart and you will be my people. There was, there was a new covenant that was about to be revealed in Jesus Christ. It was about to come. We know the story we read from Isaiah that he was, that he was born, that he was born of a virgin, that the Holy Ghost came upon a virgin called Mary. God himself, the eternal son, was born out of a virgin's womb and he was placed in that manger and, and there he was wrapped in those clothes and he was hid away. And there was a few old people and there were some younger ones too, but there was a small remnant in Israel that were hoping, that were looking, that were longing, that were believing. There was an old man that would tell people, God revealed something to me. He's revealed something. I'll not taste death till I hold the Lord's cry. I'll not taste death. God's given me a promise. You imagine a man walking around saying, I'll not taste death. And all the pharisaical operations of religion in that day. And all the judgmental spirits that there are. And everyone that's looking down with their haughty spirits. And there's an old man saying, I'm not going to die till I see this Jesus. Whatever you're thinking, whatever you're going through, whatever is happening in your life. Yeah, I'm not going to die till I see Jesus. I'm not going to pass from this scene of time. They must have thought he was mad. Just old people that believe God, that walk with God, that studied the Word of God, that understood that the times and the seasons and God's calendar was passing, that Christ was about to come. And the old man was faithful and God revealed Himself to him and he held the Savior in his arms. Old women would prophesy. Zechariah and Elizabeth were barren. He actually was struck dumb because he didn't believe in himself until he said his name and God opened his mouth and the revelation came. Would God open our mouths this morning? Struck dumb for unbelief. Here we see that God is beginning to unveil and reveal himself. Christ is born. Calvary. The purpose of God, the eternal purpose of God, the prophetic calendar of God is marching forward. God knows He's in control. He is a covenant-keeping God. He keeps His word. Not one word will fail. Everything of what He said will be fulfilled. Genesis 3 and 15 was fulfilled to the very letter on Calvary's tree. God's calendar is working forward, moving forward. God knows exactly where we are in time. And now Jesus stands with all the religious sham of the day. The greatest experts in religion. The teachers of the law. All those that have a great knowledge. All those that are puffed up in themselves with great pride. The Lord stands and He speaks to them. Listen to what He said in Matthew 21 and 42. He says, did you ever read the Scriptures? Well, these were experts in the Scriptures. They were experts in the law. He says, did you ever read the Scriptures? The stone which the builders rejected. He came on to his own. What happened? His own received him not. The same has become the head of the corner. This is the Lord's doing. And it's marvelous in our eyes. Therefore say unto you, the kingdom of God shall be taken from you and given to a nation, bringing forth the fruits thereof. This is awesome. This is a this is a revelation. We're coming to the end of an old dispensation, an old covenant that God had cut with Israel. Now some people take this first and distort it wrongly, dividing the word of God. They say that in that, that God has taken the kingdom from Israel and Israel have no other significance anymore. Friends, let's turn to God's word. Romans chapter 11. And verse 25. Paul is speaking here from his natural birth point of view, an Israelite. That's what Paul was. He says in Romans 11 and 25, For I would, brethren, for I would, brethren, that ye should be 
should, that they, that ye should be ignorant of this mystery. For I would not, brethren, that ye should be ignorant of this mystery, lest ye should be wise in your own conceits, that blindness in part, in part, is happened to Israel. Until, when does that blindness end? Until the fullness of the Gentiles become in. God sovereignly allowed and has allowed a blindness to fall over the nation of Israel. They cannot see. We heard a couple of weeks ago the wonderful types and shadows that they're engaged in. Think about it. The bread and the stripes and the, all the all the rituals and the and all the garments and all the all of that which goes on. And friends, they still can't see the Messiah. And we, our eyes have been opened. We claim that we're saved and our eyes are open. And by faith we see everything of what it is. Yet we sit around the table struck dumb. We come to the house of God and our hearts are cold and hard. And we claim that we've entered into the fullness of Jesus. Paul says there's a time, there's a set time in God's prophetic calendar. And God knows it well. If you go back to the beginning of that verse, how do we know he's speaking of natural Israel and not Israel as in the church? He says, I say, has God cast away his people? For I am what? I am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. God had not cast away his people which he foreknew. What ye not? That the scripture said, alas, how he maketh intercession to God against Israel, saying, and so we go forth like, what he's laying out for us is God's not forgotten his people, but in God's prophetic calendar and in his purpose, there is a blindness that's fallen upon Israel and it's for a season for something wonderful to happen. What's that? That the Gentiles, that's you and that's me, can be brought in. And friends, this morning, I see if you don't get excited that your name's written in heaven. If you don't get excited that your sins are forgiven. If you don't get excited that you were once strangers and aliens and you were not part of the covenants of promise, if that doesn't stir you, if you're stirred about everything else, friends, we're backslidden in our hearts. We're cold and we're different. We've left our first love. We're just going through the motions. But this morning, if you got the hold of this, friends, that there's a nation that's blind this morning for one purpose, that you and I can be saved and brought into the covenant of grace. If that doesn't stir the heart of the church, I really don't know what would stir it. If that doesn't move a saint to go, Hallelujah! Thank God! I don't know what will, friends, this morning. And so God's purpose is being fulfilled. I want to say one more thing on this, which is important. And we'll come to this in a moment. If you turn over to Isaiah chapter 11, you remember the Divinic Covenant and the promises and the prophecies that were fulfilled in that. But here's a very important scripture this morning concerning God's people. The Old Testament, the blindness, in part, the Gentiles being brought in. Isaiah 11 and verse 10 says these words, And in that day there shall be a root of Jesse. Who is the root of Jesse? That's Jesus. Which shall stand for an ensign of the people, or a banner, or a token, to it shall the Gentiles seek. Who's that? That's you and I. If we seek him, we'll find him when we search with all of our hearts. And shall, and his rest shall be glorious. And it shall come to pass in that day that the Lord shall set his hand again. What does it say, friends? The second time to recover the remnant of his people. Who's he speaking about? Israel. And it says this word, which shall be left from Isaiah from Egypt, from Pathros, from Cush, from Elam, from Shinar, from Hamath, from the islands of the sea. And he shall set up an ensign for the nations and shall assemble the outcasts of Israel and gather the dispersed of Judah wherefrom the four corners of the world. Most of the time when we're speaking about end times, do you know what we'll do? We'll pick up, for example, this morning I could easily take out pestilence have a great backdrop it's called COVID-19 right and I could preach a whole message on pestilence I could wait and probably we're seeing the, the distress of the nations 
people against people. I could wait a little bit, maybe in a couple of weeks' time, and see again, probably we're going to see some real disturbance that's going to break out in the nations of the world. And I could preach, and I will, and it's not wrong to do that, don't get me wrong, I'd preach on, on the specific. But see for a moment, for a moment, if you can, if you can stop, you can step back by the grace of God, and God give you the help to be able to be lifted out of where we are as, you know, we often, it's so easy in our wee country, and all us we Ulster men are all we can see where we are, right? But see if we can just pull ourselves out for a moment by the help of God and see God's prophetic calendar being fulfilled, even specifically in about the last hundred years. See, a hundred years is nothing to God. A thousand years is a day. And a day is a thousand years. God's not bound by time. You know that, don't you? We're bound by time. We know time's ticking for us. We know that the finishing line's soon. But not God. So when you begin to just pull out a little sec, a little second, you begin to see something. And Christ came to Calvary. When, as the Bible tells us, he was the mediator of a new covenant. And in that, when he took that bread, we took bread this morning. When he took that bread with his disciples, and he says, Take this bread, and I'm going to take this cup. He says, This bread is my body, which is broken for you. See this blood, this blood is the blood that I'll shed. This is the New Testament in my covenant. This is for you. When he broke that, when he went to Calvary, the eternal purposes of God was all revealed in Calvary. Everything of what God had purposed was found in Jesus Christ. Christ died on the cross. Christ rose again, triumphant over death and over sin and over Satan. The church would say amen. And he rose and he ascended up into heaven and he sat down. We're here at Calvary. And those disciples are inquiring after him. They're saying, Lord, when will you come again? Lord, what is the sign of your coming? What happens? We have now entered into a time where it is the new covenant in his blood. That's what it is. We're entered into the time where it's God's grace. You're saved by grace, by nothing else. We are entered into a season where the, all the types the, the, the door of the ark is opened. The lamb has been slain. There's grace for you to get saved. There's mercy in God's house. You can come to the throne of grace. There's a way. Jesus said He's the way. And He's made it all possible through Calvary and Him alone. And it's by faith alone and Christ alone. And time goes on. And those disciples are saying, Lord, we want to know when You're coming again. Lord, tell us about the, the times or what it's going to be like at the end. Because you see, friend, this morning, listen carefully. You see, this is a reality. We, we've gone through all the prophetic types and calendars and covenants and leading us up to Calvary. But this here is a reality. This, this, this is happening. This is going to happen. Everything is going to be fulfilled. Nothing is going to be missed. Everything about it is going to, and it is happening. But if we just narrow it down and say, oh, I'm just looking at this over the last year, what has happened. If you can see it this morning for where we really are, I tell you, friends, it should waken you. If it doesn't, all I can say is that there's a terrible root of bitterness or a terrible root of pride that's making it impossible for you to see. That's the only thing that stops us from seeing. Pride. Or bitterness. And pride's an awful thing in the house of God. That's what Jesus had to deal with his whole ministry. Pride. Feeling superior to everybody else. Feeling above everyone else. Here's the important thing. Daniel the prophet said this. He said in Daniel 12 and 4. Oh Daniel. Oh Daniel. Shut up the words. Shut up the words. Seal the book. Seal the book. This is important. Even to when? Even to the time of the end. Even to the time there is a revelation that comes at the end. There is a revealing 
as the seal is opened and the books then begin to be fulfilled, the word of the Lord is fulfilled. Then what does he say? He says, many shall run to and fro and knowledge shall be increased. It's very hard for us to get this because we live in a technological age. Even, even in our short space of time on this earth, for me, for 47 years, it's just, you've just lost track of how quickly knowledge has increased, haven't you? Can I tell you something? Sometimes you just got to see it from a different way. Do you know, in 1903, the first ever heavier than air flight took place. You know how long it lasted? Anyone want to guess or somebody know? It lasted 12 seconds. No jet lag. Do you know how long they flew for? 120 feet. See, 65 years later, Neil Armstrong traveled 240,000 miles in 76 hours and landed on the moon. You go, us. See, for a thousand years up to that point, mode of transport, horse. A donkey. For thousands of years, suddenly there's been an explosion of knowledge. What else happened? We had the world wars. We had the birth. If you understand this, when it comes to the man of sin and the revealing of him in the last days, we had the birth at the end of the Second World War of the United Nations. We have all been born. I think there's nobody pre-1945, but we have all been born. I'm not looking at anybody in particular, but we have all been born since then. We've been born in an age where there is the United Nations. We've taken it for granted that's there. That's a good thing, right? No. Friends, the United Nations is the platform for the man of sin to stand upon in the last days. We don't see it that way. They come across as this is the health organization. This is the humanitarian organization. This is the peace mission. These are all good for us, right? It's actually the platform for the man of sin to be revealed. This is all. If we can see it all in the last 100 years, if we could just pull out for a second, I think it was Harry Ferguson, it might have been about 1910, just from Dromore. He had a go at the flan and he went along Newcastle Seafront for about 100 feet as well. Today, friends, we're flying all over the world. We can fly to the moon. They're about to fly to Mars. They're looking for some people with a one-way ticket to go to Mars. And people are volunteering. And they say, we're mad. Think about it. The advancement. At the back end of that, you remember our reading in Isaiah chapter 11, the second time. Anybody remember what we read there? What happened in 1948 was the fulfillment of Isaiah chapter 11 when God the second time gathered his people Israel even in blindness. And a state, the state of Israel for the first time in 2,000 years was brought back again in 1948. Since this, this is a fulfillment of prophecy. This is a fulfillment of the word of God. Friends, if you don't see, if you can't see, no matter how many times I'll preach on the second coming, no matter how many times I'll say, listen, Christ is about to come and I will keep preaching it, friends, whether people like it or they don't like it. I'll keep preaching that we're not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. Do you know what I've heard people say to me? I know it says that, but brother, but what? But what? But I don't have to obey. But I have my own ideas. And I've heard it in so many different scriptures. I know the scripture says that. But do you know what they're saying is? I don't have to obey God's word. Think about it. If I actually, I believe this. That's why I preach it. That Christ is about to come. That we're in, that the nations of the earth are in turmoil. That the fulfilling of prophecies, there's not many, I don't know. Except that Christ is about to come. Where do I believe we are? I know some people 
And I'm not again. I know some people believe in the reading tonight that we're caught up to meet the Lord and the earth happens about here. That's called the secret rapture. But in my reading of it, and my, my looking at it, friends, there's nothing secret in it. The trumpet of the Lord sounds. There's an awakening across the world. The only thing that happens instantaneously on that day, this is what happens. In a moment in the twinkling of an eye, James, we're all changed. That's what happens. But see everything else? It will happen out in real time. In other words, the clouds will part. This whole world in a moment is going to see the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ with 10,000 of his saints and a host of angels and the whole earth will be lit up with the glory of God in a moment. Think about it. Can you imagine what that will be? Can you imagine at that moment the Bible tells us the terror that's going to rip into people's hearts? Can you imagine those that all their hard speeches, all their rebellion, all the things that they've said against Christ and God and everything, and suddenly the whole of the planet is alive with the angels and the glory of God and the sound of Christ, and we're looking up and the dead in Christ. It's all going to happen in real time. It's not just the click of a finger. This is going to unfold that day. People are going to cry out. That'll be brought up in the gospel. They played church. They played the things of God. They know all about it. They could preach a gospel message. They know more than any of us. And on that day, friends, as Christ burst through the clouds and the glory of the Lord and Christ is coming in all His glory, this earth are going to cry out, my God! It's not going to be Muhammad. It's not going to be a God of your imagination. It's not going to be Mary. And he comes in all his glory and all his power. And the dead in Christ across this earth will rise up out of the seas and the graves. Suddenly, friends, beyond any imagination, even our words can't describe it, we will see and witness the dead in Christ rise, victorious and glorious. Suddenly then, how does it happen? We're all changed. This mortal boots on it. And then suddenly we're all caught up. Oh, I know the world will mock and laugh. I actually know people in the church mock and laugh at this. They don't even believe it's going to happen. But they're not going to make it. Nor are we at the secret rapture. No, friends. I want to tell you where we are. We've passed the beginning of sorrows. We're deep into that. And we're well in. We're well in. Listen, friends, I'm not putting dates or times or telling you anything else. But we're well into the time of the tribulation, the falling away. I'll tell you how the falling away happens by God's grace next week. How it happens. Not just that it does happen, but how it happens. And what we're witnessing is the unveiling of the man of sin. And Christ could come at any moment. People are unmoved. People don't care. Churches, not aware, not awakened, undisturbed, unmoved, means nothing. Carry on regardless. We don't need to cheat. We can do whatever we want. We can act whatever way we want. We can play games, whatever. We can get on whatever way we want in the house of God. And yet, friends, if you realize you're about to meet the Lord, He's about to come. The sober reality of Christ bursting through the clouds. The suddenness of his coming, like a thief in the night, when you least expect it, when you think it's not going to happen, suddenly it happens. Most are asleep, friends. Most are asleep. Most are not awake to reality. Most even don't believe this anymore. The coming of the Lord. And what's this all about? What is it all about? What's the purpose of all? What is this all about? It's all, it's all about Jesus Christ. And his purpose for Israel, let me tell you, friend, it's all about Jesus. And his purpose for the church, let me tell you, friend, it's all about Jesus Christ. And every ministry and every facet and every work that's in the church, do you want me to tell you what it's about? It's about Jesus Christ and Him alone and for His glory and for His namesake. That is it. When it becomes anything else, the deception that's coming is rampant 
I've sat in meetings with certain men and certain things and the topic has been a certain thing and I've sat there for an hour and a half and not once have they mentioned Jesus Christ. But we've talked about some type of ministry or some type of function. This is all about Jesus. And he's coming. Before this world started and before he comes in that millennial reign and that great white throne judgment, friends, see, outside of all of that, you know what this is all about? It's all been about the lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world. The denominational labels will be gone. All the religious rites and rags will be gone. Suddenly, we'll be caught up to meet the Lord in the earth. Now listen, for we must all, listen, Christian, stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Believe it. Not that, not the great white throne, the judgment seat of Christ. That's sober, isn't it? And so we see the late hour. Hopefully we see it by the grace of God. So we see that the night is far spent. So we see that Christ is about to come. The midnight hour is about to chime. Friends, do you want to be found in a place where you've been playing games? Really? You want to be found in a place where you're harboring things against a brother, unforgiveness against a sister. Is that where you want to be? The coming of the Lord? Really? You want to be in a place where you're manipulating and playing games? God knows the depth of your heart. Really? Is that where you want to be? The reality is, we're talking to Fiona last night, but her dear friend Anne, Anne had no idea that her finishing line was yesterday. No idea. Do you want me to tell you something? I have no idea what my finishing line is, and neither do you. But what happens if it's today? What happens if 2021 is our last year? Really? Over the years, I've met a lot of people, and honestly, I can see them standing there and all their arrogance and pride. And they're going to try and tell the Lord on that day why they were right. Think about it. They're going to tell the Lord why they were right. Friends, we'll cast our crowns at the feet of Jesus and we'll worship Him as the Lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world. Everything of what this is about is about Him. And it's about Calvary. Let me show you this in Scripture. Why this is true. You have your Bibles turn as we're closing. Colossians chapter 1 verse 16. Colossians chapter 1 verse 16. Colossians 1 and verse 16. For by Him... Were all things created that are in the heaven, that are in the earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones, dominions, principalities, powers, all things were created by Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and by Him all things consist. And he's the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn, firstborn from the dead, that in all things, that in all things, would you say all things? All things. What? That he might have the preeminence. See, everything of what this is about, everything, everything, we can look at the Antichrist, we can look at the man of sin, we can look at the tribulation, we can look at God's purpose for the church. We can look at God's purpose for Israel. We can look at God, and they are all important, and they are right. But see, every one, every bit of it is all about Jesus Christ. How does deception happen? How does it happen? 
is very important. The Lord himself, as we close, shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God. The dead in Christ will rise first. We which are alive and remain shall be caught up. Depending on the translation that you read, you could also find the word rapture there. King James Version says, to be caught up together with them in the clouds, to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. And we can see that everything has been fulfilled in Christ and every word and every T and every I from the beginning of this planet through the Calvary and subsequently from Calvary right up to this day. Friends, don't slumber or sleep or think that this isn't about to happen because Christ is about to come. I would never put a date on it. I would never tell you it's this month or this year. But I want to tell you something when I see it in the broader aspect. I know God's prophetic calendar is about to be fulfilled in every part and Christ is about to come. You're here this morning. What's God's purpose then for us in these last days? Paul was speaking in this chapter that we're reading from. Paul spoke very clearly to the church. You know what he said? He talked about that falling away, that apostasy. Jesus talks about it as well when he says many will be offended. That simply means many will rebel against the truth, betray one another, they'll hate one another. He's talking about what happens in the church and his words being fulfilled. Paul says there'll be a falling away and then the man of sin is going to be revealed. The spirit of lawlessness. That's what happens, the spirit of rebellion. Rebellion will come into the hearts of the people of the world, but rebellion will sweep in across even much of what the broader church is called. And then there'll be heresies, there'll be damnable heresies, there'll be false teachers. Did Jesus say this? There'll be false prophets. They'll come in his name, they'll preach damnable heresies. Even if it's possible, you know, I phoned Sue on Friday, I'm just looking at that verse. So I'm my heart all day, just looking at that verse. For the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. It'll become such a day that people will be so hard. You know what God in his mercy will do? He'll curtail the time in order that the elect can be saved. It's the mercy of God. You want me to a phone Sue to Sue? She says, I've just been reading this verse, and it's the very same verse he's reading. Christ about to come. The coming of the Lord draws nigh. Man of sins revealed. Mystery of iniquity that's always been. But now it's been, it's been an onslaught of wickedness. You can see all the purposes of God. Increase in knowledge. God's purpose in Israel. The platform for the Antichrist. And then we know the wars, the pestilences. You know, this pestilence will pass. But if you look at the verse, there's a whole lot of other things still going to happen. We see it all unfolding. We're coming up to the latter stage. You know, what does he want us to do? And Paul says, listen, hold fast. Don't move. Follow the traditions, the good traditions that you know. Stay in the Word. Stay in prayer. Stay in faith. Stay in fellowship. Stay faithful. Because the coming of the Lord draws nigh. That's what he said. Now, who am I to change that? And say something different. Who would I be this morning to tell you something different from what the Word of God says? Friends, one day those that stand in pulpits will give an account and will be held responsible for the things that they've taught. See, that's a sobering thing for me. It should be a sobering thing for every preacher. I know Stephen, Brent, it's a sobering thing that one day we'll be held accountable for what we preach and what we say. I want to tell you, friend, he's coming. Hold on. Hold fast. Endure. Persevere. Don't give up. Stand firm. Let the wind blow. 
Let the storms come. Let people say what they're going to say. But he's about to come. You see, see that there? You know what that makes me feel? I really don't care what anyone thinks of me or my reputation or who my name is. I could not care. One, I, friends, all I'm interested in is this. As many people as possible are ready to meet him. That's it. Is that what you feel? I know you do. Friends, he's coming. He's coming. He's coming. He's coming. Sinner, he's coming. Backslider, he's coming. Do you know what we should be doing? We should be throwing ourselves at an altar on our faces this morning saying, God, fill us with the Holy Ghost. We want to pull as many in as we're in these last moments. But you see the sleep, don't you? You see the coldness. God, Awaken us. Awaken us to where we are. Maybe today. Maybe today. Maybe today. Are we ready? I know many are. I know many are. Many here are ready. Prayed up, ready. But friends, we need... We need to be ready for the Lord's coming. There's an important work today to be done, and we need to do it. We need to get rid of the things. Stuff. Anybody know what stuff is? We need to get rid of the stuff. He's about to come, friends. He's coming. It's all for his glory. It's going to be a great day. It's going to be an awesome day. You're going to see your daddy. You're going to see your daddy. What a day. What a day. See the loved ones that have gone before. We're going to see them again. We're going to be gathered around the throne. What a day! Friends, if that doesn't encourage you, that day alone, it would concern where we are spiritually. Honestly, it really would. It would concern us where we are. If that doesn't get us excited, that doesn't get us moving. If that doesn't get us... Friends, I know we can get excited a lot of stuff. It's alright, I can too, but out there more than anything gets me excited. He's coming soon. Are we ready? Are we ready? Church, are we ready? This was the last sermon I preached. If it was, and Christ was to come today or he was to call, all I would plead with you is this. Be ready. Just be ready. Father, this morning, we pray for your help. Help us to see. Help us to understand. Help us to grasp it. Lord, I realize this morning that it is not through the intellect of man. Lord, it is by your Spirit. It is by your Spirit that you bring the revelation. Oh God, clear our minds of knowledge, self and pride. Clear us, Lord. Lord, we pray, Lord, that every heart would be right, Lord. Be right with each other. Lord, that we be a humbling of ourselves, Lord, before your throne of mercy this morning. Lord, you're dealing, you're speaking. Lord, we know it's not just here, but across this world there is a remnant that are being prepared. Lord, you're stirring hearts, you're speaking to people, you're speaking through your servants across the world. Lord, we're hearing, Lord, we see, Lord, we know. Lord, there is a remnant, Lord, there is a people that you're coming for. Oh God, may we make ourselves ready. May we be ready. Oh God, help us this morning. 